Amen. Good to see you, church. Good to have you here in the room. Good to have you on the live stream. On the live stream. Camera one, camera two. They switched it on me halfway through. Trying to keep me on my toes here. Good to see you and um, excited about uh, this morning. We're going to be in a few different gospel passages, but primarily in Luke chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, make sure uh, they're open to the uh, beginning of Luke's gospel or just into chapter one a little bit. And we're continuing on with this series. Actually, today is December 20th. It's the last Sunday before Christmas. So we're getting into uh, all the excitement of next week or the week coming. And uh, we are concluding this little three-part series called With Joy and With Songs. Today, we're going to talk about praising Jesus. And a a really good question, I think, for us as we get started here this morning is have... Now, listen, before I ask this question, um, don't answer it too quickly or too loudly. Okay, so just think about it is really what I want you to do. I'm giving you ample warning. Have the current pandemic restrictions hindered your praise to God? Have the current pandemic restrictions hindered your praise to God? And if you answered yes, you also have to answer the question, why? Why have these restrictions hindered your praise to God? What is it about the current circumstances that have caused you to listen now, worship God less? I mean, as the events of the nativity rolled out, the principal players in the nativity story were all facing their own struggles and their own challenges. Their situation was pretty dark and desperate as well. The shepherds, Mary Joseph, Zechariah, the Magi, all of them had their own normal life pressures and societal pressures that were bearing down on them as well. And into the darkness of their world, Angels, messengers of God, came and delivered the good news. And it was the angels' praise of God in the midst of these announcements that lifted the spirits of the human beings that they were coming to, to whom they delivered this news, uh, the human beings that they were sent to serve, that inspired these same human beings to praise God as well. And that's the challenge that we're going to see in today's passage. Will we let the angels help us praise Jesus as we should? And as we look at various passages, we're going to, just what we've been doing in this series is also tracking with a Christmas carol. And so um, we're going to track with angels we have heard on high today. And it's a 17th century, it came to us in the 17th century, it's French, French origin, first published in 1855 as Les Anges dans nos campagnes. It has no known composer for the tune or lyricist for the words. Uh, The version we know is from uh, 1916, and the chorus, of course, is uh, so familiar to us And could we say that no matter our situation, no matter what circumstances are coming against us, that for us it will be, this is the chorus, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. That no matter our circumstances or situation, for us, it is glory to God in the highest. Because that's worship, that's praise 
for Jesus as we ought to be doing, as we should. Well, there are six angel encounters in the nativity narratives. And by the nativity narratives, I'm starting with the prophecy, the the meeting with Zechariah, where he's told that they're going to have John the Baptist. Um, Of course, um, Elizabeth conceived six months before Mary. And then by the end of what we would call the nativity narratives, Mary and Joseph are heading off to Egypt with their two-year-old Jesus at the time. And so that span of time is what we refer to as the nativity narratives. And so we'll talk about angel encounters in all of that uh, time span. Um, There again were six of them. Zechariah had one, Mary had one, the angels had one, and Joseph actually had three encounters in dreams with angels. And we're going to look specifically um, here at, at Gabriel's encounter with Mary, and that's the passage I want to read for you. And so this is Luke 1, 26 to 38. You follow along as I read uh, in, your, in your Bible. In the sixth month, and by the sixth month referring to Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, in your notes, you're going to see this. hbc.info has the notes. You'll see it on the screen as well. Here's what we're going after. When I praise Jesus as I should, first of all, I'll worship him with everything I say, not just what I sing. I'll worship him with everything I say and not just what I sing. The the perceived problem right now that we're facing, the perceived problem with worship currently, is that the province and the health unit have told us, have, this is their two words, have strongly discouraged singing in gatherings like this one. But Christian, let me ask you the question. At what point did you fall into believing the heresy That singing equals worship. When did you start believing false teaching? I miss singing in worship. 
I come into the worship center and I see every other road taken out. I see the empty chairs between us. I know what this room looked like pre-COVID. I know what it sounded like pre-COVID. And I sit in this room. I stand here as the worship team is leading us. And I imagine what it's going to be like when we get back. When we put those chairs back in. When we pack this room. When we can once again lift our voices. I'm a little afraid for the infrastructure of the building actually. Because I know it's all pent up inside of us. I miss singing in worship. I imagine what it's going to be like when we can let our voices ring out again. But we need to be very cautious about putting too much stock in singing alone. Worship is not singing. And singing is not worship. We can sing and worship. And we can worship by singing, but the two are not equivalents. The what we're supposed to do, what God has commanded us to do is to worship him. That's the what, the how, among all the hows. How should we do the thing that God has told us to do? Among the hows, a long list of how we should worship is singing. But it's just one way we might do it. The two are not equivalents. And in fact, here in the Nativity story and in the book of Revelation where we see angels before the throne of God, we see angels praising God. But interestingly, in the scriptures, they are never said to be singing. Not once in the nativity narrative do we see angels singing. Not once in the throne room of heaven in the book of Revelation, Revelation 5, do we see angels singing. But man, do they worship. With abandon, with all their hearts. In fact, if we forget about angels for a second and we just think about human beings and we think about that amazing worship scene... That happens during the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday. As Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem, the crowds are thronging to him because of his teaching and the miracles he had done. And people are allauding him as the coming Messiah. They're waving palm branches and they're laying their cloaks down on the ground. And he's coming up, up the hill into Jerusalem. And people are waving the palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're lauding their king. They're not singing. They're shouting. Now there's some people today who are saying, if we don't sing, the rocks will cry out. Have you heard that? The rocks will cry out if we don't sing. Well, that whole thing about the rocks crying out, that was Jesus at the triumphal entry because the religious leaders came to him and said, this is inappropriate that they're lauding you in this way. And you need to tell them to stop shouting Hosanna. No one was singing. They need to stop shouting Hosanna. And Jesus says to them, if they stop shouting, the very rocks are going to cry out. It had nothing to do with singing. And everything to do with worship and adulation for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so if we go silent, if we go silent in our worship, not just in our singing, if we go silent in our worship, then for sure the rocks will cry out. That's what we need to be careful of. Yes, we're limited in that we can't sing congregationally, but we still had music. We can still sing at home. We can still lift high the name of Jesus Christ through our words. We haven't stopped praising Him. This church has continued to praise Jesus Christ in every possible way we can throughout the entirety of these restrictions. Now, if we hadn't, if we had stopped praising Him, the big stone outside the south doors would be praising Him. And not just that one, but I don't know if you've noticed, if you walk along the sidewalk on the west side of the building, or you go to the south side of the building, you see, oh, we have have thousands and thousands of river rock. If we had stopped praising Him, all those river rock would be calling out to Jesus right now and worshiping Him. And I went and saw them this morning, and they're just as silent as any rock you've ever seen. Because we haven't stopped praising Him, even if we've had to stop singing. In fact, everything Gabriel says, everything Gabriel says is worship. Everything Gabriel says worships and honors and praises God. Now, think about that, if that's the example. Think about every word you've spoken. I'm arguing that every word Gabriel spoke was honoring to God. Every word you spoke in the last week, was it honoring to God? Every word. You say, please, I don't even want to remember last week. I'm just so happy we're on to next week. Just the last 24 hours. If a week is too hard to digest, just think about Saturday. Your interactions with your family, with friends, with co-workers, with customers, whoever it was. Every word you spoke, honoring to God. Every word to another human being can also be worship of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it was for Gabriel. Everything he says is worship. Luke 1, 28. He greets Mary with a, with a blessing. He, gre- he greets her with a blessing. The way you greet people, is it with a blessing? He says, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. And then she's awfully troubled because there's an angel in her living room. That would be startling for anyone. She's a little startled. The text tells that, so he calms her. She was greatly troubled, verse 29. But he said, do not be afraid, verse 30. And then he tells her the gospel and her part in it. Verse 31, he said, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be great. Verse 32 and 33, he's going to be called the son of the most high. He's going to have the throne of his father, David. He's tying her in now to the great messianic hope. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom of his kingdom is going to be no end. Now, Mary, having heard all of this blessing, blessing, blessing coming to her from Gabriel, she has some questions. She has one primary question because she understands how things work. She's had the talk with her mom. She gets it. She says, now I'm going to have a baby, but I need to know how this is going to work because I've never been with a guy. 
sincere inquiry. There's no doubt here. She believes what Gabriel's telling her. She understands that she's now going to be a part of what God is doing in the world and the coming of the gospel. This is sincere inquiry. And she just wants to know the answer. She wants to know how this is going to play out. Verse 34, more blessing from Gabriel as he fills her in on the details. So patient in his words. He tells her in verse 35, you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. That was Gabriel. You know, the same thing happened when the angels showed up to the shepherds in a passage we looked at last week, Luke 2, 10 to 14. What comes from the angels, it could have been Gabriel. We're not sure which angel came, but it's encouragement. It's joyful. It's the good news. It's glory to God. It's worship of God with every word. And this is, in fact, what we see in the song. Angels we have heard on high. Sweetly singing over the plains. Okay, well, they already established they weren't necessarily singing, but, you know, artists, creative license, correct? Worship guys do what worship guys do, right? Writing a song. Sweetly singing over the plains, so we give them creative license over that. Then listen to this. And the mountains. So we have these angels singing over the plains. And the mountains in reply. Echoing their joyous strains. Now, when this was written, I said that this carol came from what country? France. It came from France, 17th century. And there's a legend that kind of goes around this carol when it was written in that part of France. That on Christmas Eve in southern France, the shepherds would come out onto the hillsides. And they would shout out as a celebration of Christmas. They would shout out in Latin, in excelsis. Gloria in excelsis Deo. They would, they would call it out from one hill, and then the shepherd would hear that, and he would cry it out, and it would echo from that hill to this hill, and then the next shepherd would, would call it out to the next hill, back and forth, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Over and over again, the hills would be echoing. But it wasn't the hills. It's not the mountains calling out. It's the shepherds on the mountains lifting their praise to God, echoing, here's the line from the song, echoing their, speaking of the angels, echoing their joyous strains. And so listen, that's us. Every, every word from our mouths is either a blessing or a curse. It's either praise to God No matter who we're talking to or what we're saying, it's either praise to God or something else. James lays it out in his book. In in James 3, 1 to 12, he talks, he says a lot of really kind of like hard things about the tongue and our speech and all of it. And And he says at one point, he says like what comes out of your mouth, it's either a blessing or a cursing. And so which is it for us? Do my words, to borrow from the carol, do my words echo the joyous strains of the angels? So let me, let me ask some questions here. I have five questions that are not going to be on the screen. You can write these down or you can check the video out later and get them. But here, here's the question. When I speak, am I, first of all, comforting and encouraging to people. 
Now, more than almost at any other time in my lifetime, people need this right now. People need comfort and they need encouragement. So when I speak in the words I say, in the tonality that comes with it, the attitude, just ask yourself the question, even in the last 24 hours, yesterday, whoever you talked to, did you bring a blessing to people? Did you encourage them? Did you comfort them? Or did you add to the chaos? In your words, did you add stress? Did, did, you, did you add strain to someone's life by your words? Comforting, encouraging. Or here's a second one. When I speak, am I sharing the good news about Jesus? So many opportunities to do that, but do I shrink back? Am I fearful? Do I lack boldness? Am I ashamed of Jesus in some way? Do I witness to Jesus or do I shrink back and fail to share the good news? It's obvious which one brings a blessing and which one a curse. Here's a third one. Communicating what is true. What comes out of my mouth is true. There's a lot of unconfirmed, I'll just be gentle, unconfirmed things coming out of people's mouths these days. And by the way, coming out of your mouth on social media, same thing. Whatever you're sharing on social media, that's coming out of your mouth. Whatever you write in a text message, whatever you send in an email, that's coming out of your mouth. We're talking about the whole package here. So whatever you're sharing on Facebook, do you absolutely know that that thing is true? Or are you dealing in opinion and speculation? How do you know it's true? Again, are you adding to confusion and chaos or are you bringing a blessing to people in the words that you're speaking? Are you communicating what is true or only your opinions and speculations? One is a blessing and one is a curse. Fourth, calling others to mission. Are you calling people to be part of something greater than, than what you are or what you have going on in your life. There's a greater mission going on here that's tied to our identity. We'll talk about that in a moment. But are you calling people to be part of that? Or are you so fretting and concerned and worrying about the things of this world? If we're truly the followers of Jesus Christ, mark it down, folks, this world is perishing. Why is anyone surprised by that? And that compels us to mission. Don't have your eyes on this world. We're looking to eternity. Here's a fifth one. Do my words echo the joyous strains of the angels? When I speak, am I dispensing hope or am I peddling despair? And I would hope that everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ is dispensing hope. Do not use the lack of singing as an excuse to not be praising Jesus and worshiping him with every single word you say. 
I really feel like that was a whole sermon right there. Do you feel that? I feel like that was a whole sermon. I could just close in prayer right now. But I have two more points, and I prepped them, so I feel like we should move on. Good with that? I was very unenthusiastic about the last two points. All right. Secondly, this, when I praise Jesus as I should, I'll serve him in whatever way he asks. Not just how I think I should. Well, we know that um, from Luke 1, 26, 27, we know that the angel Gabriel was sent, was sent from God to Mary. We know from chapter 2 that an angel of the Lord, probably Gabriel, appeared to the shepherds along with, verse 13 of Luke 2, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. We know that an angel, uh, Gabriel, also appeared to Zechariah. We know that one appeared three times to Joseph. And by their very nature, angels are created to serve, to minister. And actually, speaking of angels, it's great to have this verse because it kind of tells us exactly what the angel's purpose is. This is in Hebrews 1.14. The preacher writes this, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits, look at this, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Angels serve the Lord for sure, but the way that they serve the Lord is by ministering, serving us, and advancing God's plan amongst humanity. They come at God's bidding to benefit us. And some people might say, yeah, well, they didn't really have a choice. That God just created them to be these serving machines. And the reality is they did have a choice. And about one third of them decided not to serve God. They exercised their volition. They went off with Satan. They'll be condemned for their choice. But the remainder stayed to serve the Lord. They had a choice. And their choice was to remain and serve the people that God was saving. So we might ask the question, what's, what's behind their devotion to serve God and His plan to serve us in this way? Zechariah had this encounter with an angel prior to the birth of his son John the Baptist. And in the midst of it, it's just kind of interesting, when, when the angel comes to Mary, he identifies himself right away, I'm Gabriel tells Mary her name. Now, she was a young girl, and maybe just the intimidating nature of having an angel in your house. Maybe it was just like, I'm just going to tell her my name. But in the encounter with the shepherds, curiously, the the angel is never named. He's not asked for his name. He just doesn't give his name. It just doesn't happen. Same with Joseph. It's just an angel of the Lord who appears in a dream to him three times. But in Zechariah's case, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah He's having this encounter, this conversation with the angel, and then at some point he just says, hey, by the way, what's your name? He wants to know what the angel's name is, and the angel tells him and says, my name's Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. Listen now, this is in Luke 1.19. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, there's a couple of really awesome things that are in this verse, and I want to share both of those with you. The first one is about identity. It's about identity. Gabriel says that he stands in the presence of God, and he offers that as the only necessary credential for what he's doing. 
he stands in the presence of God. Now think about that. Standing in the presence of God, whether you would recognize this or not, if you're a Christian, for sure you should. If you're not yet a Christian, you should have this sense of like maybe even you're here because you're kind of searching after God. The thing you're searching for is to be in the presence of God. Every Christian, every believer, and I believe every human being has this longing to be back in the presence of God. And so the thing that Gabriel has, we look at that and we just go, that's the thing that I want. I want that to be my identity. I want to stand in the presence of God. We want that more than anything else. And all of our other strivings and everything else we're searching for, it all comes down to that. The thing we're actually looking for is to be in the presence of God. And our sin, of course, is the thing that stands in the way of that. Well, back to Gabriel, because he stands in the presence of God, it radically defines everything about him. In fact, if Gabriel had a business card, people still have business cards? They still hand these out a little bit? If Gabriel had a business card, this would be it. Okay, no logo, doesn't say where he works, like really nothing about anything, no contact information. It's just Gabriel stands in the presence of God. I mean, you get his, his card, he hands you his business card, and you kind of, oh. It's Gabriel. Stands in the presence of God. I know who he is. That's all he would need to say. And from that identity then flows this second thing, mission. He's resolute in why he's come. He's resolute in his mission. He says, I was sent. I'm here to tell you the good news. His mission is is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that mission flowed from his identity. And that ought to sound very familiar to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, because it's no different for you and I. Gabriel is doing what God has commissioned him to do, and we ought to be doing what God commissions us to do. Now, here's the obstacle. There's one of two obstacles standing in the way of this. Either A, you don't know who you are, and therefore you don't know what you should be doing, or B, you know who you are, and for whatever reason, you're not doing what you should be doing. Mission flows from identity. And if you know who you are, you know you're a follower of Christ, you know you're a son or daughter of the king, you get that part of it, and you're not engaged in the mission, it's because you have this list of excuses that you've set up, none of which are great. I'm too busy. It's just, too, it's just really a busy season of life. I'm just really focused on my job and my career right now. It's just super demanding. I just have a lot going on. You know, I, I, I need my leisure time. I need my hobbies. I'm working on my education. Maybe when I'm done school, it's a busy time with our kids. It's just a busy season for them. We're trying to raise our kids and be the best moms and dads that we can possibly be. And I get all of that. And all of those are really worthwhile and awesome pursuits in their own time and space. But when we allow any of these to crowd Jesus out, we fail to see who we are and what we ought to be doing. We become very confused about what the Christian life actually looks like because it's not tick the box, watch the live stream. It's not tick the box, gave an offering. It's not tick the box, I stood at the door and greeted people today. 
It's not any of those things. It's knowing who you are in Christ and serving Him, not out of obligation, not out of tradition or routine, but out of adoration and love and devotion for who He is. There's so much confusion about this on the part of most people. This week, in fact, I spoke to a young man uh, who I, I would guess is an unbeliever. Um, he works in a store that I frequent often. Uh, we'll just call that place Starbucks. I had the um, opportunity this time, you know, you can go into a place like that and they're just always so busy. And so it's always just chit-chat. You recognize, you go to the same place all the time. You recognize the person and there's always like a little chit-chat that goes back and forth. But that's about it. But this time he was like out... Um, in front of the counter, and he was doing some cleaning up, and I was there picking up uh, our two coffees, and, and um, so we got to talk just a little bit more, and he asked me the question. He said, like, busyness of the season, and how are you doing, and all of that. It was a really kind question of him to ask, and so I just said to him, because we'd not had an opportunity to actually say this before, I, I just said to him, well, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pastor of a church in town, and so, you know, pretty busy season we have coming up you know, next week. Well, there's one thing about, you know, I mean, I realize most people in this room are not pastors, but if you want to end a conversation super quickly, just tell people you're a pastor. They're going to, they're going to get off that topic as fast as they possibly can. And I know some of you have had that conversation as soon as you say that you're a Christian. And, and as soon as anyone senses that you're about to invite them to church, man, you can, that, that's game over right there. And so that's what happened this, with this young man. He, he immediately, as soon as I said, well, you know, I'm a, a pastor of a church in town and we have a, you know, a week coming up. And I think he was sensing right away that, you know, an invitation was going to come next. So he jumped into the conversation right there. And he said this, it's really funny. He says, my mom used to go to such and such a church. He said the name of the church. I know the church well. I know their pastor. My mom used to go to such and such a church. So we're not even talking about him anymore. Now we're talking about his mom. And he just does not want to talk about himself. And then he adds this in before I could say anything else. He says, and I know she still gives the world vision. Which is a very nice thing to do. Would we agree? It's nice to sponsor a child overseas. I mean, that's an awesome thing. But all of a sudden for this guy, in order to stop the pastor from talking, I'm going to tell him, my mom goes to church and she still gives the world vision. Because that's the concept that a lot of people have of what they ought to be doing. I would suspect if I could dig a little deeper into it, that there's a sense that he's running from God. There's a sense that he just doesn't want to talk about it. There might be some guilt or shame there or some fear over some things. For sure, he's ignoring God and probably his mom too. What's super clear is that he and probably his mom have no sense of what God is truly asking of us. Again, giving the world vision is fine, attending church is fine, but neither is a replacement for knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Neither is a replacement for doing the things that you really ought to be doing in this mission. See, it's not what you think you should do. It's what Jesus says you should do. We don't dictate the terms of our faith and practice. He does. And when we praise Jesus, we understand that. Finally, this last one, when I praise Jesus as I should, I'll put all the attention on Him and not at all on me. All the extra charitableness that's happening right now, and there's a lot of it, there's a lot of charitableness that's happening right now, happens at Christmas every year, it's awesome, there might even be a little extra happening this year because people are sensing the needs. 
I'm happy for all the ministries and all the agencies that are benefiting from people's giving spirit right now. But can I share a pet peeve with you? There's a question. Can I share a pet peeve with you? I just kind of tell you that because, you know, I'm stepping away from the sermon for a bit just to share a pet peeve with you. Um, But I have a pretty intense pet peeve of people taking credit for their generosity. There's a lot of that happening right now. I was watching, um, I think it was Global News this week, and there was a story of this young lady who is a gamer and content creator. That is a job. That's a job now, gamer and content creator. I don't know what kind of content she creates, but she obviously creates enough of it and is pretty good at gaming that she makes a lot of money. Lives in Toronto, and I guess she's pretty famous for what she does. And so she was a news story because she decided that she would take a bag of her money and she would go to a lot of independent shops in, in the city and she would buy toys and help to fill up uh, the, uh, an ambulance for some paramedics that were, that were collecting toys. So she's you know, benefiting the small business person and she's benefiting the kids because she's buying the toys. And then there was a shot where the camera came over and there's a paramedic and she's got a check and she hands the check over and she says how much the check is. So we all know how generous she is. And, and oh, I hate that. I just hate that. But you know, Jesus said something about it. He said something about that kind of giving. And I get what she's trying to do, and I don't want to be too hard on her. She's being generous, and kids are getting toys, and it's awesome. But Matthew 6, 2, Jesus is is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what he says. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. You ever wonder where we get that expression, you know, like, hey, look, at they're just trumpeting their successes. That's where we get this from here. Right? They're, they're trumpeting their giving. They're announcing it. So they sound this trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So that little like three, four, five minute segment on global news, that girl, that's what she got. That's it. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that five minutes of people clapping and patting you on the back and isn't that wonderful and the smile from the paramedic and knowing the kids got their toys that's it you got to enjoy it because that's all you're getting and if you give and post it on instagram so that everyone can see just how awesome you are if you get 25 likes that is the sum total of your reward enjoy the 25 likes Scroll through them several times if you want, because that's all you're getting. Today, it's all about social media posts and news stories. People give to get credit. And Jesus said, if you love me, if you praise me, it just can't be that way. The attention can't be on you. It has to be on Jesus. So as Christians, we have to get the attention off of ourselves and onto Jesus at every opportunity. Amen? Onto Jesus at every opportunity. So Gabriel rightly says to Mary, this is in Luke 137, he says to her, for nothing, this is right after he tells her that she's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That seems, you know, she doesn't even know about a Holy Spirit. She's an Old Testament saint. There's not really a lot of mention of that in the Old Testament. She has no idea what's going on. And Gabriel says, 
Okay, what's, what's it? Nothing, nothing, nothing is going to be impossible with God. He doesn't say nothing is impossible. That's the kind of maximum phrase you see. That's the kind of stuff you get on Twitter and stuff. That's the little motivational phrases that we throw. Nothing's impossible. You can do anything. Climb any mountain. Dream any dream. Gabriel's powerful. But he knows that nothing is impossible with God. He's careful to point out that it's the Lord. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, the multitude of the heavenly hosts, they point to God. It's Gloria in excelsis Deo. God, that's the Latin word for God. It's Deo. It's not just glory in the highest. It's not, look how wonderful we are. Look how awesome Israel is. Look at these great, it's God. Glory to God in the highest. And could we get to a place where we grasp that all that God is and all that he has done for us. Could we get to a place where we recognize all of that and then bow down and worship him. But we fight this. We fight him. We push back. We doubt. We challenge his choices. We wave our fist in the air and say, why God? We turn our backs on him when it doesn't go our way. And we forget the very things that we've heard time and time again in his word. Because all of a sudden now it's happening to me. Think again of the angels. Look at their example and how they point at every turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. How they long to understand the work that God is doing. How they are 100% devoted to the things of God. In fact, Peter said that the gospel is something, this is 1 Peter 1.12, that the gospel is something into which angels long to look. The implication is they can't really look into the gospel. They can't really understand from an experiential standpoint. They can't understand the gospel. They long to look at it. They can advance the gospel at God's bidding. They can proclaim the gospel to the world and deliver messages for God. They can grasp, I suppose, the concept of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. But they cannot understand experientially what Jesus Christ did on the cross because they cannot be forgiven. They are either faithful or unfaithful, but there is no redemption for angels. They can be faithful and serve God or they can be unfaithful and rebel against him. But they cannot be redeemed. They will never understand what it is like to be sinful and then be forgiven. They will never understand the experience of having the shed blood of Jesus Christ cleanse all of our sin. And they long 
to know how that works. With every fiber of their being, they put all their attention on God and His redemptive plan if only they could experience it and understand it in some small way. And just why wouldn't we do the same? Why wouldn't we devote ourselves to this thing that the angels are devoting themselves to that they'll never grasp? That doesn't benefit them. Justin Dillahay wrote an incredible little article on of the angels and on this very point, and the link is in your notes if you want to read that afterwards. But he said this, in their world, speaking of the angels, in their world, all the buzz centers around what Jesus is doing for you. That is what they long to look into. That is what keeps them riveted. Your salvation is like a book they can't put down because they can't wait to see what happens next. As a Christian, you may think your life is provincial and dull, but you're wrong. There's an epic drama unfolding that keeps even the angels riveted, and you're at the center of it. As the angels watch what God is doing through you, they learn more and more how wise he is, and they stand up and cheer, and they fall down and worship. And that's the challenge that we put in front of ourselves to praise Jesus as we should, as the angels did. Come to Bethlehem and see, the carol says. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come, adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, again for your uh, great kindness toward us. Thank you, Father, for your patience with us as we struggle to grasp all of these things. God, I pray um, passionately for those who are watching, those in the room who have not yet given their life to Christ. God, I pray that they would believe this gospel, believe this good news about Christ and find the forgiveness of their sins. Father, that before this Christmas season is done, we would hear of many who for the first time have bent their knee and bowed down before you and surrendered their life to Christ. And God, I pray for us as Christians, those of us who've already done that, God, we can be so, so thick-headed, so hard-hearted. We can be so focused on our own thing. And we can forget about the great thing that you're doing in this world and the great promise that we have for eternity. So God, help us to lock in even more firmly into our identity, to desire much more to stand in the presence of our God. And then, God, to redouble our efforts in this great mission that you've given to us in the world, to proclaim 
to a world that desperately needs to know about Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the place And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous strain Christ the Lord.